thank you all. What a great, what a great setting of the table with that last song for the text we're going to look at this morning about God's faithfulness. We're continuing on in Luke. I appreciate you all uh, being here last week and Jerry and everybody. Uh, we had a great time as a family, had a week with our family there in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and it was such a blessing. But it is always a blessing and a privilege to be back and preach to you this morning. Uh, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. As you do so, I want to remind you of a few things. First of all, where we have been, I know we've all slept from two weeks ago whenever I preached the previous text. We were looking at the parable of the rich fool who was given so much in abundance. Thank you. Appreciate that. Given so much in abundance that uh, he, he told himself, I will trust in my own riches, I will build these massive barns, and I will trust in, in all of these material things that God has given me. And today what we're going to see is the other side of that coin of materialism. So if the first parable here that Jesus in speaking to the disciples in the crowd was, don't trust in wealth, don't be fooled by wealth and materialism, the other side of this coin is, uh, what if I fret and worry that I don't have enough? What if I've, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough at the end of the week? And you begin to worry that whatever you have is just simply not enough. And so that's what this sermon is about today. So here is the Word of God, church. Hear it. And He said to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass and is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you O oh, you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that will not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that will not fail, and where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. May God have blessing to the ring of His holy, inerrant, infallible Word. And church, if you know this verse, say it with me. The flowers fade, right? The grass withers, but the word of our God, what's it say, church? Endures forever, doesn't it? <clears throat> Bye. Now, 
By Christmas time, the supply chain will be completely broke down. Ships are stacked in California. They cannot get their supplies out. If you don't buy from the grocery store now, your shelves will be bare by Christmas. If you need Christmas presents, you must rush the stores now. The supply chain is breaking down. Inflation is eating away at your savings and your dollars. Quickly, everyone, run to cryptocurrency and invest all of your money in crypto now before you lose all of the money that you have. Quickly now, before you lose everything that you have worked for. Uh, The price of gasoline keeps going up. You must fill your tanks now as the refineries are reducing the amount they are made by presidential decrees. And on and on and on it goes. The headlines pour out something new for you to worry about again. And the question is this, should we? Should we? Right? Here Jesus is telling us in these verses What life is about? What is the sum total of life? I have a question for you this morning. My question is simply this. Are you a materialist? Do you practically function as if there is no God who is sovereign and providential and able to cover the needs that you have? Are you functionally believing that all there is is what is here that you can see and touch and feel and nothing else? That's what a materialist is. They believe there is nothing past what is material, but you know deep down. Even if you are not a believer this morning, you know there is more to this life and to this world than just what you can see and feel because you feel it when a baby cries for the first time. Something in you wells up and you know there is eternity in that cry. You know it when you have that spark of romance that there is more to this life than merely what is there. The reason we all love a Christmas carol at Christmas time is because we love to see the fact that Mr. Scrooge, the picture of a materialist, turns and sees that there is more to life than just collecting taxes and rent from his fellow folks in London, but it is better to give than to just have. And in this passage today, Jesus here is pointing these things out to us. Materialism functions in three three areas here, life, food, and clothing. First and foremost, life. For the materialist, life is simply what you have here between birth and death. That little dash that everybody has on their gravestone is all you get. And if that's truly what you believe, then I am, quite honestly, wasting my time this morning. (laughs) If all there is is a material life, then there is no point to church nor to preaching. Zach wasted his morning. Michael wasted his morning. Sarah wasted her morning. We're all wasting our time if this is all that there is. It's not so much just that there is life, but just coming to see the sum total of life is only breath, first breath to last breath. Second of all, food, what we consume. Now, I'm going to pause for just a minute here, and I'm going to say this. There's a few things within this that we need to point out. First of all, we are consumers. We consume all the time. We consume products, food, and experiences. We pay for those things, and we consume them. 
We are so intertwined into consumerism and into consuming that it is almost difficult to understand it unless you leave this culture and go to another one. My recommendation would be that you go to some first world country where they are not consumers like we are, but whether where they don't have like we have there. Uh, you can see that when you go to places like that, right? Food is a thing that we are obsessed with. Uh, it's easy for me to say, right? But let's be honest. How many of you here have missed meals because, quite frankly, there was just no food to eat in the home? Not many of us. If we have missed meals, it has been, one, because of our choice, two, because our doctor told us to, or three, we're fasting and in prayer. Uh, we'd love to say we were all doing the third one, but probably one and two are bigger reasons for missing meals than the third one, if we were quite frank and honest. So most of us here in this country have plenty of food to consume. Uh, some, my grandfather, who lived through the Great Depression, he would hoard food. You know, and that probably sounds strange to some of us. Uh, he, uh, but you know, that's the way. When he passed away, there were jars and jars and jars of food that had been canned and put back and saved that we had to just, quite frankly, pitch out because we didn't know how old it was or anything like that. It was never consumed. It was just part of this fear of not having enough and being anxious and worried about not having enough. Overeating is a form of worry. I will never have this experience or this opportunity to eat this food again. How many of you love to eat Mexican food here in East Tennessee? Do you love it? I'm going to tell you something. The Mexican restaurants we have here in East Tennessee are all trash. They're terrible. <laughs> and I can say that with confidence because I've had real Tex-Mex. I have been in Dallas and I have had the real thing. And here's the dangerous thing about having the real thing. Once you've had it and you go sit down at Amigos or at um, El Charlet's here, you are terribly and woefully disappointed because you went from having hot homemade tortillas by this beautiful little Mexican lady and uh, chicken fajitas that have never had the bursting flavor that you've ever tasted in your life till you've been to, to Dallas and to Texas. By the way, how, how many of you have actually had real Mexican that I'm describing right now? Once you've had it, it, it ruins you, doesn't it? Because it's like, it is, that becomes the standard. And I remember when I was in Dallas teaching and preaching at a Bible conference, I took the hover position by the chicken fajitas because I just want, I didn't know, I knew this was not going to be in East Tennessee when I got back. So I wanted as much chicken fajitas as I could get in that moment because it was one of the most delicious chicken fajitas I'd ever had in my life. Okay. Quite frankly. All right. So food is another thing. Uh, consuming of not just food, but items that are needed in households. I went to buy toilet paper this week. There's no toilet paper to buy at Sam's Club. And I was like, really? We're doing this again, right? People are hoarding toilet paper. I don't, you know, toilet paper will not stop the coming apocalypse if there's one that's going to come, right? Toilet paper is not going to make that any better. If you're one of these people that's hoarding toilet paper, stop it. Stop it. I don't want to live like a vegan and start cutting up white t-shirts and have a bucket of bleach in the bathroom that I throw the used ones in and then rewash to be used over and over. I don't want to live that way. Does anybody else want to live that way? Stop buying all the toilet paper, right? Leave some. If everyone will just take one and wait, we'll all be fine, right? I want to live a vegan lifestyle. Cut it out. And then finally, clothing. How we appear. Perhaps none of us see this anywhere better than how we appear on Facebook 
and on Instagram and the photos that we take. It is now estimated that we will, the average teenager today, uh, particularly girls, will take around 24 to 25,000 selfies in a lifetime. That's a lot of selfies, <laughs> right? And generally speaking, when people take pictures of themselves, are they taking them when they're in the middle of doldrums and getting ready to go in the funeral home and see a deceased loved one and take pictures in front of the funeral home? No, they don't do that. You don't show the down times. What do you show? You are presenting yourself a picture of your life and the happiest moments. Generally, you don't share the burdensome, downtrodden moments, but rather those times that are happy. So in the clothing that we wear, it's gone to a new level. Worried about our appearance, the money that we spend, the time that we spent, the products that come out to get rid of wrinkles and promise you that they will keep you from aging. Uh, all of these products, all of these things to consume materialistically. We're more concerned with feeding our bellies than we are with feeding our souls, aren't we? Let's be honest. <laughs> We, can, we care more about the length of life rather than the measure of life. We care more about life's pleasure than life's measure. We care more about what life gives us instead of what we give life. We care more about life's treasures than the treasure of life himself, which is Jesus Christ. We care more about filling our bellies with food than we do about filling our souls with truth. We care more about what is salted and the taste of our food than being salt to a dying world. We care more about our clothes than we do our character and how we present that on Instagram and Facebook. We care more about our suits then we do what suits the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We care more and worry more about the physical at the neglect of the soul. And so he is simply saying here, don't worry, don't be anxious. Uh, another way that you would translate that, uh, don't get wound up over these things. Don't get wound up over these things. You see, worry and anxiety is the enemy of faith. Do you understand that this morning? They're enemies, fundamental enemies at a base level. Uh, if you are worrying about exercise, you're not exercising your faith. If you're worrying constantly and have anxiety constantly, you are not exercising your faith. Um, you know, <laughs> As we think through all these things, it, there's things that bother me as a pastor. I have noticed this, and this is not just a problem here. It's been a problem everywhere I've ever pastored. I have noticed that when we, we get up and we offer the bread of life and preaching and teaching, and we offer times of prayer, which is what the church is to be about, the crowd numbers are lower than when we put food with it. When we put food with it, we'll get more people to come out because more people are concerned about filling their bellies. And it bothers me as a pastor, right? Jesus said, my house will be a house of hot dogs, right? My, no, no, that's not what he said. My house will be a house of potlucks. Is that what Jesus said? Or my house will be a house of what, church? A prayer. It bothers me 
when people come for a Wednesday night dinner, but then quickly leave before we get into the room and study the Word and have time of prayer together as a, as a body. It bothers me. You do with that what you will. All right. Let's see what Jesus gives us to remedy here. What does He say? Well, a few things here. First of all, in verse 24, consider the ravens. And He'll say the same thing again as we move down. Consider the lilies in verse 27. So what does He mean when He says consider? Well, He means right. You could almost translate consider rightly order your thinking. So let us now ask some questions so that we can rightly order our thinking this morning. First of all, he, he wants us to think about the birds of the air. Now, he doesn't just pick any bird of the air, right? Let's be honest. There's a pecking order of how we think about birds. <laughs> some of them more majestic than others. When I tell you to think of a majestic bird, you think of a eagle, bald eagle. Although they're actually kind of rotten scoundrels, right? If you really know them well and their behavior. Uh, and if I tell you to think of a, of a gross kind of disease-ridden bird, you think of a... Everyone said pigeon in the first service, too. Pigeon's got a lot of hate out there. I heard one person say, nothing but a rat with wings. That's all a pigeon has is a rat with wings, right? Well, uh, in this passage here, Jesus doesn't just select any bird. He selects ravens. And if you're familiar with Old Testament law, you would know ravens are not on the sacrifice list. They are considered more of an unclean type of a bird. So he's saying here, he's not just picking any random bird, but he's saying this type of bird, the one that you would consider foul and disgusting. Personally, for me, I think vultures are a more disgusting bird than pigeons because vultures eat rotting flesh. So to me, that's pretty gross. Uh, that's, that's kind of the worst of the worst. So it'd be kind of like them saying, consider the pigeons and consider the vultures in North America. Do pigeons and vultures have nine to five jobs? Do they punch a clock? Do pigeons and vultures work for a 401k? Do they get a pension plan and a paycheck? Do they have any of those things? Do they? Are they taken care of? Absolutely they are, right? God makes sure that they are provided for and that they are still around for you to hate, right? <laughs> you don't hate them, do you? You just don't want them to rub up against you. I get it. I understand it. They're nice from afar. So he says here, rightly think about your, uh, consider, rightly think here. Now the question becomes this, if God cares about ravens and buzzards and pigeons, how much more does he care about you who is made in his image, who he died for, and who he has promised the kingdom to? Mm, that's good medicine for worry, isn't it? And then he goes on to say what? Consider the lilies, right? Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, right? They don't have, there's not factories where flowers check in and clock in for the day to make new flowers, right? There's not, um, you know, free the daisies in uh, um, Nepal, right? There's no t-shirts like that because there's not sweatshops for flowers making flowers. That doesn't exist anywhere. Uh, they don't toil like we do. He says, even Solomon in all his glory. By the way, did you know how rich Solomon was? He is considered to be one of the richest men in all of history. If we were to equate, somebody did this once, I don't know if this is true, you can go check it yourself, this is what I read this week, it may or may not be true, but I'd say it's not far from accurate. 
It is estimated, he was the richest king that Israel ever had. It is estimated that if Solomon's worth was put in U.S. dollars today, it would be roughly $1.2 trillion U.S. That would be about what Solomon was worth. And in this passage, what's he saying? Somebody who has $2.1 trillion, his clothing is not as finely adorned as the flowers that grow for your enjoyment every spring here in the beautiful mountains of East Tennessee. Isn't that something? You think about that. All the money that Bill Gates and Jeffrey Bezos, which by the way, oddly enough, is looking more and more like Lex Luthor. I don't know what to think about that. Maybe I'm I'm waiting for Superman to show up, right? Oh wait, he already has. That was Jesus Christ, wasn't it? He's everything Superman wanted to be. And uh, the guy that made the Tesla, I can't think of his name right now, but Musk, Elon Musk. All of their money and all their finest clothes would not come close to what God produces every year. And let's be honest, how long do flowers last, right? One summer season. Ladies, any of you here like to be given flowers? Who likes to be given flowers? Raise your hand. Fellas, take note. That's for you today, right? How long do those flowers last when they bring them to you, right? Maybe three days. Keep looking nice. If you have a cold house and you get that packet of stuff and you follow the instructions, you might get five to seven out of them, right? Maybe, if you're lucky. And then what do you do with them? You pitch them out. They're done, right? God cares deeply for the ravens. He cares for the buzzard. He cares for the pigeon. He cares for the flowers that are grown that adorn your dinner table here. He cares for them all deeply. So rightly order your thinking. If he cares for flowers and he makes sure they are adorned and they have everything they need to be clothed, should I worry that I will be clothed and have enough? And the answer to that is what, church? No, we should not. Every time you see a bird flying in the air, every time you see a flower growing or a flower in a shop, you should be reminded not to worry because it is a reminder of how much God loves you and loves all his creation, and particularly you. Okay, not just this, but we also see, uh, first of all here, that worrying and faith are natural enemies. Uh, fathers that are in this room, we, we hear a lot of times the things that our children are worried about, or our spouses are worried about, and mothers, you hear it, things the fathers are worried about, or the kids are worried about. And Here's the reality of the situation. Satan wants to preoccupy us with crossing streams that do not exist. Let me see if I can make this a little bit more clear for you. Mark Twain, who I don't think was ever a believer, once was quoted as saying this, I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Let me say that again. I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Uh, You know, it's not necessarily the stress of a job that gets most of us. It is the worry of potential things that will go wrong that ages us and taxes us mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually across the board. Things that never come to pass, that we worry and that we fret over. Small things, we let them cast big shadows. And when we let big, small things cast big shadows, things that have not yet come to pass, things that have not yet happened, what are we doing? We're not worshiping, are we? 
If we're fixated on that, we are not worshiping the one true and living God because worry is godless. Worry is this. It is an intrusion into the sovereignty and into the providence of the one true and living God. It is you looking up at heaven and saying to God, and you may not be doing this quite verbally, but you are doing it emotionally, internally, and at your heart of heart, at a core value. You are saying, God, I don't know what you have planned for me, but surely this is not it. Lord, can you do something better than this? Now, I'm going to give you some illustrations here to help us along in this. Uh, Sometimes in the Christian faith, the things that we dread the most that we have to go through end up being the times that our faith grows the most tremendously and end up being the best things, even though we would not necessarily want to go through those things again. Our faith grew by leaps and bounds in those hard times. All right? Let me give you a couple illustrations. And I am not saying today that coming to Jesus Christ equates to dollars and cents, but there are times that God loves you and meets whatever needs you have, including financial. When I first went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I knew three people. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was it. I didn't know a soul in Louisville, Kentucky other than that. I stepped out on faith and went there uh, because I believed God was calling me. I believed that this seminary was the best. Uh, you know, the, the, the sales pitch that got me and is still true is if you go to any of our seminaries, you'll have a wonderful theological education. But if you go to Southern, you will sit under the professors that write the textbooks for all the other seminaries. So that's where I wanted to go. And it, it lived up to its, its promotion. But times were hard financially when I got there my first year. There were times I was short. I didn't have enough to make it financially. And I would go to my box, turn the little dial, open it up, and I would find a card from somebody back home or somebody somewhere with a check for $100. Just randomly, had you on my mind and my heart, here you go. I didn't tell them my need. The Lord knew the need. He felt the impression, and He sent the money and gave. I'll tell you another time. This was a little bit higher stakes because it wasn't just me. Like I feel like I could just skip some meals and I'll be okay, right? Uh, back when I was between salaries, I wasn't between churches, but I was between salaries. I didn't have a steady income for about eight months at one point. And I had three children and a wife and she didn't have a job and they were all dependent on me. And, uh, <clears throat> and that was my responsibility that I had taken. And we had about $1,200 worth of bills that had amassed and come due in one month, which was half the month's bills. And uh, I remember Beck telling me about it, and I said, I know, we don't have it, we don't have the money for it. And uh, we spent some time in prayer in the car, and right not long after we got done praying, the church treasurer called me and said, Travis, we have a love offering here at the church for you for $1,400. If you will please just come down to the church and collect it today, that would be amazing. And so that was just two, three incidents where it happened. As I've gone and preached various places, you're not always paid in money. Uh, I think the funniest thing I ever received is like a, an honorarium payment for preaching was a bucket of, a five-gallon bucket of golf balls. I went to one church one time I preached that gave me a bucket of, of golf balls. Oftentimes received fruits and vegetables, which I would give to many of my seminary friends and family. We would split those things up. And the more I gave, guess what? The more my need was met. Uh, in, in times that is challenging like we live in today, there is a temptation to hoard and to pull back from giving. And the Word of God tells us what here today? Don't do that. 
sell what you have, give, because when we give, we're pointing to the fact that God doesn't just cut the nozzle off, right? That He gives us what He needs. Now, let me pause for a second and make two quick points on this before I move forward. First of all, this one. There are many things that you have in your life that you are worried about that quite frankly, you don't need to turn over to the Lord in prayer because they are first world American comfort and luxuries and not needs. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. When we did mission work in Haiti, Michael, many of the people that live in Haiti don't even have floors, do they? They live on dirt floors. Uh, they don't, can't afford turkey for Christmas. They eat cat, house cat. That's right, they do. They catch and kill wild cats and eat that for their Christmas dinner. There was a little cat at the compound we stayed at. We named him Christmas. Isn't that cute? It's dark. I'm a fan of dark comedy, guys. Come on. All right, anyway. Here's my point. People in Haiti who don't have floors are not concerned if the wallpaper or the paint job on the hallway, if they even have one, goes all the way up to the ceiling. It doesn't matter to them. Or if you were to go with me to the Transylvania Mountains in Romania and we were to go and visit the Roma people, which they don't have bathrooms, they don't have indoor plumbing. You know what the bathroom is, ladies? You're going to love this. It's a four by four on each side and a two by four. And then you just hang your business over on the other side of the two by four with a tent behind you. And that's how you use the bathroom. The tent faces away from the village. Isn't that wonderful? There's not even a hole. It just kind of slides and lays around on the ground there. Isn't that great? Yeah, wonderful. They have these like shack tent combinations with dirt floors, just like Haiti. Do you think the Roma people in the mountains of Transylvania who have bathrooms like I described are concerned if the backsplash in their kitchen matches the correct tones of gray and blue that are in their tile so that all can be right with their world? Or is that just a first world American problem that really does not need to be carried to the Lord in prayer? You see what I'm saying? Calm down. <laughs> let's, let's make sure we have the proper things to be worried about, not the improper things. Another, another quick observation here on applying this to daily living. Um, this is an illustration Alistair Begg came up with, and I liked it a lot, so I'm going to steal it from him. But I'm giving credit, so it's okay. <clears throat> it's about to get cold outside. Some of you are blessed to have garages and overhangs and things like that you can park your car under and you don't have to do this wonderful blessing every morning of when it starts getting down below freezing every night and going out and scraping the ice off of your car to get ready to go to work in the morning. And here's the reality of it though. For all of us who park outside, me and many of you in this room, uh, all of our windshields are icing over, right? It's like this. When people come to you, in their sharing, in your family or your friends or in the church or unbelievers. Man, I'm really anxious. I'm really worried about this meeting I'm going to have. I'm worried about this doctor's appointment. I'm worried about this uh, HR review that I'm going to go through. I'm really, I'm really feeling a lot of angst about it. Uh, don't, don't, when they say that to you, don't do this. Don't say, oh, worry. Well, <laughs> if you would just read Luke chapter 12 like moi, like me then clearly you wouldn't struggle with such piddly things in your life, right? That is of no help. 
that is discouraging to the person that you are saying that to, do not take that pharisaical attitude. And if I hear you do it, there's a high percentage chance I will stomp your little little pinky toe, right? Don't do that. Instead, do this, right? This was a problem for the disciples in the first century. It is a problem for us today. It is a problem for you and for me. Everybody's windshield has got ice on it. The question is, how do you deal with the ice, right? Some of us who are not prepared for the winter and have not yet got your um, scraper yet from Walmart for a dollar or whatever, if you're a big spender, maybe go to Burke's and get one of those big fancy long ones for five or six dollars, right? You, you wait and you wait and you wait, and then you get out one morning and you don't have a scraper, so what do you do? You get a credit card out and you start furiously trying to use a credit card, which was not designed to be a scraper, on your windshield and you scrape and scrape and scrape till it gets all the way down to your fingertips and your fingertips are like freezing and a little bit bloody now because you've got to get to work by a certain time and the whole time you're just aggravated with yourself because you have, you're trying to handle the problem we all have that morning with the tools that are not adequate to handle the job. Instead, you should have spent the dollar at Walmart and bought the scraper and cleared the window properly because here's what worry does. Worry and anxiety is just like frost. When you've got all that frost on your windshield, you can't see clearly how to move forward. And people that are caught in anxiety, they're paralyzed by it. They can't see the path forward clearly. And what they need from you when they come to you and they tell you, I have this anxiety, I'm worried about this. They don't need a lecture on, well, you should be like me. They need you to, they, you need to put your arm around them in a very loving, maybe not a physical way, but at least a spiritual way. I'd say, yes, I had a similar thing happen to me. Whenever my wife or my husband was diagnosed with cancer, I was scared beyond my wits, anxious in such a way I couldn't see a pathway forward. But let me tell you what God did for me and how I leaned into his truth in that. And now that got me through that. That's a totally different thing, isn't it? And you're sharing truth with them that will change their lives. Because remember, friends, you know this, but let me... Let me just quickly remind you here from these passages. In this passage here, Jesus is telling us God is disposed to care for you, right? He, he cares for the birds. He cares for the lily. He cares for you. He is, is God capable to care for you, church? The answer is, yes, he is capable to care for you. He's obligated to care for you in this passage. Jesus tells us here, if we have become, why would God save us only to lead us out here, not provide for our needs and see us killed? And not only that, but God delights. God delights to meet our needs. Why would you ever withhold asking for a need in prayer when God delights to answer that prayer for you? Us as fathers, all the fathers in this room, tell me something. And mothers too. Do you delight to give your children good gifts? Fathers, do you delight to do that? Hopefully you're going to say yes unless you're like a sociopath or something, right? Yes, of course you do, right? Mothers the same. Don't you delight... You know, one of the things that's great about the coming holiday season is we get to delight in giving gifts to our children. How much more do you think God delights in meeting our needs? You see, what is the opposite of worry? The opposite of worry is worship. Look what he says here in closing out in this passage here. And uh, we're almost finished, almost there. Uh, he, tells us, he tells us what here in this passage? Instead... Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your positions. Be, you get, be generous. 
Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Wilbur Chamber was a wrote for the paper. He was a very famous journalist. He uh, wanted to meet William Booth. Does anybody know who that is? He founded the Salvation Army in London years ago. And uh, that had a great impact then, still having an impact now. And he wanted to ask him one question while he was in London, and he got a chance to. He finally tracked him down. He asked Mr. Booth, he said, uh, what is the secret of your impact and your influence? And when he asked him this question, Mr. Booth's eyes began to tear up. And here's what he said. I will tell you what the secret is. God has had all of me. There have been men with greater brains than mine and greater opportunities than I have been given. But from this day that I got a heart for the poor of London and I got a vision from God about what these men could be, I made up my mind that I would have, that God would have all of William Booth. And that's what happened. If there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, if there's anything good, it is all because God has all of my adoration, my heart, and my life. Mm. You see, as Dr. Drake once said, God doesn't want much of us. He doesn't want much of a man or a woman. He wants all of them, doesn't He? Listen to me, beloved. Listen closely. What are you worried about today? What cares have you brought in? All of you come. Come, bring them to the mercy seat. Bring them to the mercy seat of Jesus Christ. Never a burden He cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus this morning. Though our sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He will press the delete key and eradicate from us our record of everything that holds tyranny and sin in our lives, not letting us off, but instead bearing our punishment that we may be free. So today, beloved, let me ask you this question. Why worry? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word here today. Thank You for the fact that You have Not just let us go with the past, but that you have paid the ultimate penalty on the cross. Lord, let us see today that are we afraid of life and losing this life? Lord, we know the word says those who seek to save this life will lose it. And those who give it away will be saved. God, that you are the place that we turn to to have life and have it abundantly. Lord, are there any of us here today who are hungry who have not been fed. Let us not walk away today thinking this passage is merely just not to worry on material things, but rather Jesus is turning our hearts to the bread of life. Let us come today and feast on Christ and the bread of life and be satisfied for the first time today and forever. And today as we look at this passage, let us not think that this passage is merely about our bodies being physically clothed with the finest arrays that can be purchased or bought to not worry about such matters, but rather may we see that this passage is about us being dressed and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That eternity is offered here in these passages something more than merely what we see. If there are any hearts here that are far from you, any hearts that have not been satisfied, who are searching for life, who long to be clothed, Lord, won't you bring them now to yourself, God? 
Won't you move in this moment? We can't create a movement of the Holy Spirit, but we long for it, God. Won't you come and move in our midst now as we pray? In your precious name, amen.